Welcome Center today. So let, let, me, let me pray pray us in again um, this morning. Um, oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your presence in this room today. And Lord, I pray just a special prayer, a simple prayer. Lord, speak to us today. Lord, speak to each of us. Lord, help us to, to put aside the distractions just for a little bit, Lord, and speak to us. And Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, that you help me get out of the way. And Lord, speak through me. And Lord, I pray for our football coach that we're we'll being in the Super Bowl next year at this time. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said loudly, amen, 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 amen. God can do amazing things, right? <laughs> that, that might be a stretch, but let's, let's, keep, it, let's keep praying that, okay? And anybody here ever witness an accident? Um, you saw what happened with your own eyes. You know the story because you were there. First-hand account. My, my cousin Freddie is a tugboat boat captain, and he was working in New York Harbor the day 9-11 happened. That day of 9-11, he went from a planned day of ferrying ships in and out of New York Harbor to ferrying folks out of lower Manhattan over to New Jersey. Folks trying to get home, some of them covered from head to foot with dust and soot from the falling Twin Towers. He witnessed 9-11 in a way so different than most of us as we watched it unfold on TV. He was an eyewitness to the tragedy. He saw it real time with his own eyes. He was there. He was a witness. And what does it mean to be a witness? And we'll fuss with some of that today, okay? We're in week five of a sermon series called The Chosen, trying to understand what it means to be chosen by God. If you're new with us, thanks again for joining us. We are so glad you're here in person and online. These messages are based on the first season of the TV series called The Chosen. And we've been studying from Isaiah chapter 43. And I'm going to read this morning from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. We'll focus on verses 8 to 10 this day. But to catch everybody up where we are today, I'm going to start with verse 1. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. And listen carefully. These are God's words. But now, God's message. The God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You are mine. This was about understanding God's call to us, God reaching out to us, God initiating, all because of God's crazy love for us. Back to Isaiah. When you're in over your heads, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. This was week two, remembering and practicing the presence of God no matter what. Shabbat Shalom. Peaceful Sabbath. Back to Isaiah. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior, I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich cush and Seba thrown in, that's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the, wor- the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. Trying to understand God's off-the-charts love for us. Looking at that through the eyes of a child. If you remember the little girl Abigail. And we looked at this last week with Pastor Ike. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll round up all your scattered children. Pull them in from east and west. I'll send orders north and south. Send them back. Return my sons from distant lands, my daughters from faraway places. I want them back, 
every last one who bears my name, every man, woman, and child whom I created for my glory, yes, personally formed and made each one. God's relentless pursuit of all of us, especially so when we wander off, and his call for us to come back to him, to follow him, trying to get our hearts and heads around that Jesus is the Messiah. And now this week's text. Get the blind and deaf out here and ready. The blind, though there's nothing wrong with their eyes, and the deaf, though there's nothing wrong with their ears. Then get the other nations out here and ready. Let's see what they have to say about this, how they account for what's happened. Let them present their expert witnesses and make their case. Let them try to convince us what they say is true. Isaiah prophecy sees this great gathering with Israel and the other nations of the world. And God is throwing up a challenge to any one of them to match what God has said, what God has done. Evidence and witnesses are presented to the court from both sides. We all know this. There are folks that make claims, all kinds of claims, but are they true? And God's words are harsh here. Get the blind and deaf out here and ready. He's talking to folks who have eyes but can't see the truth or folks who have ears but really can't hear the truth. And God says, let's get this out in the open. Let's clear the air. Let's hear the case. And then, okay, jury, what do you think? And we listen. We shake our heads. No, something, something ain't right. Not, not buying that. The opposition is re- reduced to silence, and then the Lord's case is made. And the whole atmosphere in the courtroom changes. And God is speaking to Israel, but he's speaking to you and me as well transition from the problem to God's remedy. From Isaiah, but you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, God's decree. You're my hand-picked servant so that you'll come to know and trust me. That's our church mission statement right there. Understand both that I am and who I am. Previous to, to me, there was no such thing as a God, nor will there be after me. This is God's holy word. You are witnesses declares the Lord. I have chosen you, not because of your gifts or strengths, but oftentimes because of your weaknesses. The witnesses themselves are transformed by knowing and trusting God. Their own blindness and deafness are swallowed up by a remembered, a renewed, a reawakened assurance of God's love. And now they can walk and live in that. The feeble, knuckle-headed people of God, folks like you and me, can and will be his witnesses. I'm going to show a scene now from episode 5 of The Chosen. This is a scene with Simon Peter's wife, Eden, and Simon Peter. I'm going to ask the folks to dim the lights, and we'll see this part. that makes sense. Last 
night you told me the truth. Let's continue with that. So, I worked for hours last night, and I couldn't even catch one fish the entire night. And then Andrew and the boys showed up. Thank you for that, by the way. And none of us could catch one fish the entire night. It was horrible. And this morning, we finally gave up, and we went to shore. But there was this teacher on shore. And Andrew knew who he was, but I'll talk about that later. He told me to cast one more time which made no sense, but I did it anyway because of the way he, he looked at me. And then so many fish showed up. They were pouring into the boat. So many kept coming that, that Zebedee ended up filling both of our boats, enough to pay out the whole debt. I... Uh, what? I know. Why don't you seem happy? Well, this is hard to explain. More than what you just told me. No, it's like the story of Elijah and Elisha. Yes? Elisha was plying with 12 yoke of oxen when Elijah the prophet just walked up and threw his cloak over him. I, I call him to follow him. And without delay, Elisha slaughtered the oxen, burned the plow, and left everything behind. Yes. The, the teacher, Andrew told me, but I didn't believe him at first. He's the Messiah. I know it sounds impossible, but I, I saw it with my own eyes. He made boatfuls of fish appear out of nowhere. And the words he spoke, the one John told Andrew was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was him. And then, and then he called me to follow him. And Andrew, James, and John to go where he goes and, and to learn from him. And he said that I wouldn't be a fisherman anymore, but that I would catch people instead. I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure what I saw. He's the one we've been waiting for all our lives. And... I want to quit fishing and leave the sea behind to go. I know, I know, I know it makes no sense, and I knew it would make you upset. All I can tell you is that this I'm is... Upset. Oh, why would I be upset? Come here. Come here. sometimes I don't want you to feel abandoned you have to go with him how could I feel abandoned I feel saved yeah. Yeah, it's not gonna be easy when have we ever had anything easy <laughs> it's not our people's way <laughs> mm. 
love that last line. Simon Peter. It's not going to be easy. And even with a smile, she says, when have we ever had anything easy? It's not our people's way. I think, you know, as Pastor Ike shared just our struggle as a church, maybe we can say those same things. When have we ever had anything easy? It's not going to be our people's way. Powerful words and powerful story. The power of words, the power of story, especially God's story. Jesus became real to Simon that day along the lake when he witnessed the miracle. There was no other way to describe it. He became a witness to the story. He had to tell about it. And that witness was not a burden. He couldn't not share it, first with his wife, Eden, and then with the world. And most of us know that Peter was not perfect, sometimes like a bull in a china shop, sometimes one step forward and ten steps back. He was human with a holy side and a not-so-holy side, just like us. I'm getting ready for this message. I sent out an email to a bunch of friends a couple of weeks ago, some from church and some friends outside of church, and this was my email. Hey, holy and not-so-holy friends, I'm working on a message for Sunday, February 6th, about faith. And here's my favor. Finish this sentence. Jesus became real to me when dot, 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 dot. It was funny, some of my friends got stuck on the intro. Dear holy and not so holy friends. They really wanted to know what camp I thought they were in. (laughs) And I think most knew that they were both in both camps. Something about being simultaneously saint and sinner, holy and not so. But here's some of the responses. In no real order, and you too be thinking about how you would finish that sentence. Jesus became real to me when when I experienced a great deal of time alone, fighting off loneliness, became a real battle for me. I started reading my Bible, especially the Gospels and Paul's books, in a new way, slowly, with a real effort to open my heart to Christ. He showed up and became a great companion to me. My loneliness didn't disappear completely, but his presence calmed me and helped me cope. Jesus became real to me when I could visualize him, and sometimes he showed, up, showed me answers to prayer. Sometimes he just shakes his head at some bonehead thing I've done or thought. And sometimes he nods his head and says, you're welcome. Jesus became real to me when, at 27, while praying, God showed me his deep and amazing love for me. And took my pain away, literally, the physical with the emotional pain, as if 50 pounds came off. The weight I felt I was carrying on my back as I was healed of the the great emotional burden that was attached to it. I've never been the same. Jesus became real to me when, when, from the time I was a tot, and my parents took me to church Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday night prayer meetings, we were totally involved in all church activities, and my dad was Sunday school superintendent and an elder. Jesus became real to me when I was fighting through mental trauma following a plane crash. I questioned everything, every religion, every lifestyle, and every supposed path to heaven. But every single sign pointed me to Jesus. Jesus became real to me when when I'd been searching for about a year in my late teens to find out whether he was real or not. And finally, the lights came on. It was an experience like no other I've ever had in my life. 
think the best way I can describe it was I finally understood the nature of trusting in him was the way it was done rather than trying my darndest to change. That surrender was such a relief from striving and failing I'd been experiencing. And I remember the song Surrender by you 2 really being influential on me at that time. Jesus became real to me when my senior year in college. My best friend was in a horrific car accident. Her chances of survival were slim, and yet two months later, she was a bridesmaid at my wedding. Jesus became real to me when I was abandoned and surrounded in darkness, yet I could feel his love. Jesus became real to me when I was about 12 years old. My mom and I were in a car And she shared with me the faith that my dad had brought to their relationship. Dad believed that when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, that he really meant that we would never want to have more than our neighbor has. And I saw my dad and mom live that out in their lives of service and generosity. That message was exciting and scary to me at that age, and it is now. And it brought me respect for my parents and a deep love and admiration for Jesus. Jesus became real to me when, well, it's not just a few words. When I was young, my first wife walked out of my life. I didn't think there were so many pauses in this message. <laughs> when I was young, my, f wife, my first wife walked out of my life and shattered me. An angel appeared in my dream and said, don't be distressed anymore. Fear not. Someone, a very special girl, is waiting for you. And later in life, when I was 40, I was in a horrific ski crash falling falling off of a ledge as I blacked out at midair among the clattering, crashing sounds. Jesus appeared in my state of darkness and blessed me. The, the surgeon later told my wife that my helmet saved my life and that by morning we would know if I would, if I would make it through without surgery. It took five years to recover with all my injuries, but life was never the same because Jesus said it wasn't my time. I always believed and knew Jesus, but after that our relationship was never taken for granted. Jesus became real to me when he helped me forgive the man that caused the car accident. He helped me forgive the man that caused the car accident of killing my first wife and then forgave me of my sins. Jesus became real to me when, though it's not the first time, but I'm in this Afghan project. It has become so evident that Jesus is real and blessing this project. He has given us volunteers with the passion and knowledge to cover all of our area needs. He also has opened doors for funding. God is with us all the way on this project. Jesus became real to me when my husband was arrested and went to prison. Jesus became real to me when I began to understand grace. Jesus became real to me when my older brother came home from high school retreat. Something was different about him. He was overflowing with the love of Jesus. I didn't totally understand it, but I knew I wanted the same. We grew up religious, but somehow the news that God loved us no matter what didn't come across. My brother came home with, with this portrait of the head of Christ by Richard Hook. If we could show that. It is impossible to look at this painting and not connect with the fact that God loves us no matter what we do. The portrait still is in my brother's room. Tragically, just a few years later, my life was, his, his life was taken from him. I still miss him, but I know that Jesus called him home where he belongs. Jesus became real to me when Jesus became real in an ICU watching my best friend die. There was so much indescribable love in that room. Jesus be became real 
when I was baptized. Jesus became real when I accepted him into my heart, not just my head. I knew I was here on this earthly world to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, sharing his love with others. Jesus became real to me when, great question, Joe. No answer, I get that, I get that. Jesus became real to me when I quit running from his call and turned and realized the depth of his love. Jesus became real to me when growing up in a family of profound faith, Jesus has always been real, relevant, and a solid part of my life. Jesus became real to me when my, when my kids were born. I knew then I couldn't be the father I needed to be without the Lord's help and his perfect example. Jesus became real to me when every time he held my hand and led me through rough waters. There have been quite a few of those in my 81 years this side of heaven. Jesus became real to me when my husband died and the world didn't end. I was surrounded by loving friends and family and now I have a new chapter with my new husband. Jesus became real to me when I realized I couldn't fix the difficult parts of life on my own, so I began to trust him with it all and was able to have peace in my life. Jesus became real to me when I realized he knew me or claimed me before I, I knew to rely on him. Jesus became real to me when I said I do. And my wife said it back to me when our first son was born and then again when our second son was born and when loved ones passed. Jesus became real to me when someone I barely knew helped me through a difficult time when they had no reason to do so other than grace. Jesus became real to me when even more real when my son told me he was gay. And the love poured all over us, gave me the sense that we were not alone, but rather my son and I were both being loved, nurtured, and carried. Jesus became real to me when I was going through confirmation classes before being baptized. I was 10 years old. I remember telling another little boy about Jesus and why I was getting baptized, to proclaim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My teen years, I fell away and made some pretty bad decisions that led to lonely days and desperate feelings. It wasn't until I met my future husband that I realized God sent someone that believed in me and would do anything to get me back on the right track, Jesus. And through him and because of him, I could not only love and take care of myself, but love, accept, and care for someone else. What a gift I've been given. Jesus became real to me when I finally gave up control, as if I ever had it any if I ever had it in the first place, and let him drive. It's still a daily struggle to surrender, but I'm so much better off when I do. Jesus became real to me. My quick, easy reply would be that I've always felt Jesus was real from the first time I learned about him in VBS. My childlike faith didn't know any better to think any different, differently, and I'm grateful for that. Jesus became real to me when I was still enough to listen and hear that he always was real. Jesus became real to me when, great question, I can't answer with a specific date or a specific event, it is more of a discovery or realization. We've all been taught as, kid, as church kids that Jesus loves me, this I know, but it didn't sink in until much later in my adulthood that it would really, that it really, really was me that he loves. My ears heard the word me, but my mind heard us. He loves us in a group, that is what my mind was hearing. Jesus is our Savior but he is my personal savior, my representative, my advocate, and my brother. That is a lot closer relationship than us as a group. So here's how I finished your sentence. Jesus became real to me when I realized that he was my personal savior, not just our savior. Jesus became real to me when he gave me the strength to do peritoneal dialysis when mom needed help. That's from my dad. 
Jesus became real to me when? Tough question to answer in one sentence. I'm not sure there was a particular time when Jesus became real. He's always been real to me, thanks to my mom's loving presence in her teachings, songs, and Bible stories about him. Even through the toughest of times in my life, whether I acknowledged him or not, my soul knew he was here with me. Jesus became real to me when I was hospitalized at age 11 in Liberia with an illness the doctors could not diagnose. And a doctor who was coincidentally visiting from the United States came by and identified the illness as an acute case of osteomyelitis, I think that's how you say it, an infection of the bone, a malady he just happened to be an expert in treating. Thank you for asking when Jesus became real to me. I've grown up in the church and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was nine years old. He's always been my best friend and, a very, real, and very real to me. At age 23, I found myself pregnant and unwed. I was so disappointed in myself and was consumed with feeling I had disappointed God and ruined my testimony. I could not forgive myself, and even though I knew Jesus would forgive me, I could not forgive myself or accept God's forgiveness. One day, my cousin ran into my former pastor's wife. She was a spiritual mentor when I was a little girl at the beginning of my spiritual walk. I had not seen or talked to her for over 10 years. She told my cousin, when you see your cousin, tell her that God has placed her on my heart, and I've been praying for her. Let her know God is going to use her in amazing ways. Just hearing that renewed my spirit. Jesus became real and even more personal. He is still my best friend and very real in my life. Joe, this is probably way more than you wanted to complete your sentence, but hard to put into a few words. Maybe he became real to me when I finally realized that he forgives us when we cannot forgive ourselves and sends just the right words or just the right people in your life to remind you when he forgives, he forgives completely as if it never happened. Jesus became real to me when I read the book A Violent Grace written by Michael Card. It made me realize his humanness and the horrific pain and treatment Jesus endured. A couple of verses in the Bible can never capture how horrible a crucifixion really is. Jesus became real to me when our marriage was in trouble and I had nowhere else to turn. And Jesus became real to me for our talk on Sunday. Jesus becomes real when I wake at midnight filled with regrets and fears I remember Jesus is real and, there was there and is there with me to love and comfort me and remind me that I am forgiven, a precious child, and I'm able to go back to sleep with a smile. This happens often. Jesus became real when I had to let go of control to start healing from anxiety and depression. That's a lot, and there were a lot more. Um, this is my response to the question. Jesus became real to me, real to Joe Hess, when I stopped thinking of Jesus up there in heaven somewhere, or only in this place, church, but right here in my heart and in my life. And I have to work really hard every day to keep Jesus right there. Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ around me, Christ within me. And thank you, folks, for sharing. Thanks for being so honest. It seems to me as I reflect on these beautiful, heartfelt sharings, and they were way more than I could fit on this. Um, Jesus became real to many of us when we were desperate or distraught. We're going through some significant changes in life, the birth of a child, the loss of a loved one, for searching for something that was missing. For many of us, it was the beginning, beginning to understand what God's grace was all about, that forgiveness piece 
no matter what we've done or where we've been, that God's unconditional love is really that, unconditional, no strings attached. And I believe this is the good news of the gospel. Even when we make mistakes, don't perform, or can't get our acts together, Jesus comes to you and me and says, I want you. I'm calling you. And now, and now, I'm sending you. I want you to be my witness. I want you to share how I became real to you. Someone a couple, three weeks back came up to me after service on a Sunday and told me what he was afraid of. And that was the week I had shared with you guys that I have a great fear of snakes and a great fear of heights. And if I ever encounter a snake on my roof, I'm just going to ask Jesus to take me home right now. <laughs> this, came, this man came to me and shared that his big fear was sharing his faith. The, the churchy word, evangelizing. And I told this man the way that he lived and loved, how he cared for people around here, young and old, and how he walked with a loved one through cancer twice. I didn't think he had to worry about sharing his faith. He was living it. I forget who said it, but I believe it's true. Share the gospel always. Use words if you have to. We say way more by what we do than by what we say, don't we? God's mission for us is to love well, to love God and to love our neighbor. Jesus says to each of us, you want to follow me? Really follow me? I'm going to teach you to love well. And this is what we're called to do, to practice receiving and expressing God's love. I borrow this story from Rich Villodas from his book, The Deeply Rooted Life. And Rich is a pastor and a speaker, um, great writer. But Rich was at a pastor's conference in Phoenix, and he had to take a few Uber rides around town. For one of the trips, a woman in her early 30s picked him up, and they started talking. And she asked him why he was in town, and, and Rich said, I'm a pastor. And Rich asked her if she attended church. She said, not really, I've created, created my own path, I'm, I'm spiritual. And Rich, Rich asked her to say more. She told him that she takes truths from different religions and then tries to live accordingly. Then Rich asked her how, how it was working for her. Was it leading to, to deep joy and fulfillment? And she didn't have a clear answer. Rich asked her about Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? She said, I've never really thought about it. They continued to talk, and she continued to share her custom-made belief system as Rich listened. And then she began to apologize for not having a, a good answer about Jesus. Rich said, it was okay, I'm just trying to hear some of your story. She told Rich that it was rare for a Christian to ask questions about her belief system without judging. She opened up some more. She started, to, she started telling Rich the story about why her mom stopped going to church. At one point in their life, single mom trying to raise kids, struggling financially, her mom went to the pastor at their church to ask for help. And the pastor pr proceeded to look at her giving record, and he said, in no uncertain terms, you haven't given, you can't receive. It's a great way to turn folks off at church, isn't it? And Rich wasn't trying to convert her or argue her into following Jesus. He was just trying to love on her, to listen to her, to care for her, just like Jesus. He was creating space. He was welcoming towards her. And I really believe that's Jesus' model for us, welcoming the outsider, welcoming them into his circle, the leper, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the knucklehead sinners like you and me. 
I believe the more we, we create spaces for people who don't look like us, think like us, believe like us, the more we will be able to, to introduce them to Jesus, or at least have a shot. I've shared this with some of you before. Two main questions people have when they come to visit our church. Is it safe? And if they have a family, is it safe for my family? And the second question is, are there people that look like me? Are there people real that have real struggles and are willing to share those struggles? Jesus became real to me when Cherry Creek Reservoir um, is a special place for my wife and I place where Cindy and I went on our very first date like a million years ago and then 36 then 36 years ago on Thanksgiving Eve I asked Cindy to to be my wife she didn't answer at first she had to think about it <laughs> but Cindy and I will celebrate 35 years of being together married this June thank you Jesus thank you Cindy um, but 10 years ago or so, we both took off the day, Thanksgiving Eve, and we went over to Cherry Creek Reservoir. And while we were walking um, near the lake, I got down on one knee, and I took Cindy's wedding and engagement ring, and I asked Cindy to marry me again. You're supposed to say, aw. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I love when it comes from the heart. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But, but there was an older man watching us from a distance. And when we later caught up with him with a twinkle in his eye, he asked, what did I just witness? And we said, oh no, that wasn't the real thing. We told, we told him it was just a reenactment of what had happened a long time ago. What did I just witness? What did I just witness? Jesus, in Acts 1.8, the resurrected Jesus said this right before he ascended into heaven. He says the same thing to us. You will be my witnesses. Could you guys say that with me? You will be my witnesses. One more time. You will be my witnesses. Every time you share an encouraging word with someone, say it with me. You will be my witnesses. You guys have to be better than that. Come on, one more time. Every time you share an encouraging word with someone, you will be my witnesses. We, we can kind of lump them together. You don't have to say it. You just practice this, okay? Second service is going to go so much better. Um, every time you, you hold someone's hand or hold their heart in your hands, say it with me. You will be my witnesses. Every time driving in the car, the lanes are merging down and you let the car in front of you in, you will be my witnesses. Every time you call an old friend and tell them you were thinking of them and set a date for coffee or lunch, you will be my witnesses. Every time you are present with the person standing in front of you, I mean really present and listening, you will be my witnesses. Every time we welcome the stranger or the outsider into our circle, you will be my witnesses. Every time we are honest and vulnerable with someone, sharing our own need for grace and forgiveness, you will be my witnesses. Every time we do something for somebody, um, something Every time we do something good for somebody, expecting nothing in return, you will be my witnesses. Every time you put someone else's needs ahead of your own, you shovel the walk of a neighbor or empty the dishwasher without being told or offer to take someone to the appointment, you will be my witnesses. Remember, Jesus said, you want to follow me, there's a cost. Every time you step out in faith and trust that God will be there, you will be my witnesses. Remember, Jesus tells us to follow him. 
He gives us the initial direction. He doesn't necessarily show us the final destination. It's how we are witnesses. And church, I just want to thank you for witnessing the way you do, continuing to show up in person and online in the midst of a couple of years that have been really hard. So many of you serving and helping us to keep this place going, using your gifts and sharing your gifts. You have been and continue to witness to me and those around you, and I thank you. We thank you. I want to close with this blessing. This is a blessing from Simon Peter. It's a blessing to us, South Suburban Christian Church, South Sub Church. This is a reminder about what it means to be chosen and what it means to be a witness. But you, South Sub Church, South Suburban Christian Church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And all God's people said, Amen.